0: The Mount, and um, and this is now part seven, and the title is "Love Your Enemies," or you know, loving those we'd rather hate. And uh, now, some of you may say, Pastor, I don't have any enemies. Okay, all right. Well, we'll see about that. And let's uh, see what the Scripture has to say to us this morning. And, and really, as we think about the Sermon on the Mount, um, and and sort of the idea, you could even see it there in the graphic is that the world has been turned upside down by sin. When Adam and Eve ate from the fruit in the garden, it introduced sin into our world and turned our world, all of creation, all of human relationships, all uh, of nature, it turned it upside down. It messed up everything. Some people say, man, do you hear about the earthquakes in California? and Man, this is going on and that is going on. It's a sign of the end times. And yes, it is a sign of the end times, but it's also a sign of the beginning times. For when we chose to destroy God's world by eating from that fruit, we chose a world stiff-arming God and rebelling against Him, and this is a world that we have made. But how many of you know that God has made a rescue plan? How many of you know that God has made a way that even despite our sin, despite the darkness, despite all the craziness that's going on, God is bringing His kingdom... To bear in this world. And so it's the kingdom come to earth. Now here's the trick, ladies and gentlemen, you ready? How does God bring his kingdom down to this world? Does he do it through UFOs coming down and beam down the kingdom? Does he do it by, you know, writing these giant letters in the sky with, with clouds as he brings down his kingdom? He brings his kingdom into this world through human hearts. How does God's kingdom come to bear in the world? It comes through my heart and your heart. We are called to be kingdom ambassadors, representatives of the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom saying, hey, people out of the world, neighbors, friends, family, what you see is not what God designed it to be. It's not the right way. There's a different way and this is the way of kingdom people, kingdom citizens. And so this is really what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's the marching orders for us as kingdom citizens. And so we're in this text here. And as um, we, we say, man, what a text, right? There's really no introduction needed. Uh, there's no cute little stories that I can add. We've just got to dive in. And as uh, the Scottish Bible theologian William Barclay said, he says, this text, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, is perhaps the most well-known and carries with it in a concise form the essence, the core teaching of the Christian ethic. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Give to those in need. Love. In fact, another uh, commentator, pastor and author John Piper said, uh, now those are some of the most difficult and controversial and radical demands Jesus has ever put on the work the world. And guess what? They're real. They're in the Bible. They're in the mouth. They're in the mouth of Jesus. And we are called as believers. If you call yourself a believer in this room, we are called to live like this. And if we're honest, that's kind of scary. And so I want us to feel the weight of that collectively this morning. A lot of times people will go through these passages and chop them up and say, hey, this is why you don't have to do it this way, you don't have to obey that part this way, and that part that way, and, and try to make it palatable, right? Try to make Jesus and his words a little more palatable so that we can easily, you know, uh, be like, okay, I'll take Jesus the way I want Jesus instead of taking Jesus as he am, amen, as he is. And so we're going to dive in here, right? And I'm going to give you a couple points um, that we can write down. And so the first point is is this. Christians are to practice Unconquerable benevolence. These are words I stole, uh, but I give credit to again the Scottish theologian William Barclay. Uh, this this is a great adjective to be used for this passage. Unconquerable benevolence. Somebody says, "What is benevolence?" That's doing good and 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 desiring good, goodwill towards others, good fortune, blessing upon others. And it's not getting even. It's not keeping the score with them. Right. It's not retaliating. It's it's really not clinging to our rights and demanding, hey, I deserve this. I get this because of who I am. But it's trusting God that he will take vengeance, that he will plead my case. And so it's unconquerable, though, because when we act in this way, it can't be conquered, even though it feels as if we are losing. Right. So let's just dive in. Verse 38 says this. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, you have heard that it was said. And you see the quotation marks? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And and this is one of the instances where he is quoting from the Old Testament. Sometimes he's quoting from their teachers, from uh, some of the other writings that were not in the Scripture. But this time he is quoting uh, directly from the Scriptures. Now, now is Jesus saying, hey, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth is wrong, and I'm going to tell you something different? No, that's not what he's saying because it says this in Leviticus and Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Three times we have this passage. What he's addressing is the wrong interpretation of this scripture, the wrong usage. How many know that people will, will twist the scriptures to fit their own agenda? People do it all the time. Hey, look out. We do it. We have to be careful. How many times have you been in Bible study or whatever? And I, I think the Bible means this when it says that, right? we got to be careful about that kind of uh, language. The Bible means what it means. Jesus has a correct interpretation for every passage. You and I may not understand that, and so we say, I think it could mean this and that. We just have to be careful. I'm not saying don't give your opinion, but as long as you qualify like, like that instead of uh, like, hey, let's just all be happy. Let's all go around in Bible study and just talk about what I think it means or what you think it means, and we'll just all get along and, and just be, you know, like that. Instead of saying, hey, no, the word of God is clear here. Jesus means what he means. And so let's just take this as it is, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. How they were using it, how the religious people, the scribes and Pharisees were using it, they were using it in a way to get back at other people. They were saying, hey, Justin, you took something from me? I'm going to take this back from you. And, um, and hey, you 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 took a cow from me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get you back. You know how it is. You know how people do. Oh, oh, you cut me off. Oh yeah, I'm all up on your bumper now. I'm all up on. I'm all up on your bumper. Oh, you cut me off. In front, cut you off and slam on my brakes. I know none of y'all have ever done that in this room. Y'all are too sanctified, too holy. I just see y'all. Just driving with your hands at 10 and two, singing hymns to BBN and K Love and and whatever else you got, you know, and and uh and, uh, and, and, and singing some Kirk Franklin and I mean you just praising Jesus and somebody cuts you off and you just bless you in the name of Jesus. I love you, I love you. Thank you for slamming on those brakes, God bless you. All right, you're doing twenty-five and a fifty-five. I love you, sister. Thank you, Jesus, for the slow day right? No, so they were twisting the scriptures an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They were using this to get back at other people when it was actually meant to limit, to limit retribution. They were using this as an opportunity to get back at people. So they were saying, you cut me off? Oh no, in Jesus' name, I can cut you off an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? They were using that. They were missing the point. When it was written to the ancient Jews, to the ancient Israel, they were a new nation, and they were coming together. And typically what they learned and and how ancient societies acted was this. Hey, you came over to my village and stole a couple cows? We're coming back to your village. We're not taking a couple cows. We're taking all your cows. Hey, uh, Billy and Johnny got in a fight out there in the field, and and they got in a fight, and, and Johnny ended up dead. And so now we're not just taking... Uh, his life, we're, we're taking out the whole family, right? There, there love to be feuds, right? The Hatfields and, and the McCoys, right? Y'all remember that? Some of y'all say, Pastor, what are you talking about, right? Okay, I mean, that just families love to feud. It's not just a game show, but they love to get back. And it's, and it's not get back so that we can have an equal opportunity. It's get back so that you know, don't mess with me. Don't mess with my family. I will remain on top. I remember one time I was driving, uh, I think the church fan. And um, and this was back in my younger, younger days. And um, and there was a teenager who decided he thought it would be funny to punch me in the arm while I was driving. And um, and so he punched me and I said, don't punch me like that. And he's like, hoo, hoo. you know, you know how boys want to do it, just middle school, high school. They want to wrestle and punch. They want to see who can be better. And I said, don't play with me like that, man. I'm trying to drive and I don't play those games. And so he punched me again. And so I was like, all right, Jack, it's on. You might not know me, but how I grew up, okay, I might be an adult and a pastor, but you're about to get it. And um, and so I just hauled over and punched him in the arm. He was like, oh, 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 man, he came back like the next week, his arm was black and blue and all that sort of stuff, and this is what I did in the name of Jesus. But what I'm trying to say is I was wrong for doing that, because you know why I wanted to do that? Teach that boy, unless you ever hit me again, I'm going to hit you back way harder. It wasn't an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was, I win this game over. Game over. You're done. You know? And, and the verse, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was given to limit retribution. Not so that people would continue to have whole villages attacking one another and this tip for tack going back. No personal vendettas. And they used this verse, they twisted that verse, so that they could carry a personal vendetta. So even when our rights feel like they're being violated, Christians persevere with joy, without bitterness and hatred for those who are attacking death. No resentment in our hearts and retribution goes into it. And so he says, you have have heard that it was said, let's go to the next verse, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, verse 39, look at what he says, verse 39. But I say to you, I say to you, Jesus, the living word, I'm clarifying what God meant so that you're not twisting anymore. Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, punches you in the arm, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Turn to him the other also. What Jesus is reminding us here is that when our dignity, when our our identity is demeaned or attacked when we are embarrassed in public, right? How many of you know that most fights happen because we're more embarrassed than we are actually hurt? In fact, the scholars would say, notice the word there. It says, if someone slaps you on which cheek? The right cheek. And so if I were to come up and, and slam, uh, slam, uh, slap Parker here on the right cheek, that's his this cheek here. That's, that would be your left cheek. Yes. He was giving me the other one. Oh, okay, good. He's ahead of the game. He's so smart. He was beating me. Okay, but if I were to slap him like this, like, you know, that would be his left cheek. The idea, and this was common, is that I was backhanding him. And according to ancient custom, a backhanded slap was twice as disrespectful. And so this wasn't about a physical attack on somebody else. It was about, I have demeaned you in front of others. You know, like we use the term, that's a backhanded comment, right? And what he's saying here is, man, This is more about being embarrassed than about being physically hurt. And it's not meant to hurt the other person, but meant to demean them, to insult them. But Christians are to rise above that when they're insulted, when they're demeaned. We are to take the higher road. I heard about an example that I read about this week, uh, an old school basketball player, the great Walt Frazier, uh, back during the Knicks and the Washington Bullets. I think they're the Wizards now. They probably changed names hundred other times, it seems like. But this was a playoff game, and this guy came up. He was going for the ball, and he ended up punching Walt Frazier in the face. And they actually called Walt Frazier for the foul. Now, back in those days, there was no instant replay. You couldn't go back and see all that sort of stuff. So here is Walt Frazier. He is embarrassed. His respect has been demeaned. He's been punched in the face, and he's been called the one in the wrong. Now he's even more embarrassed. What did Walt Frazier Say in response, he walked back to the bench as the timeout was there, didn't say a word. Came back on the court and the guy was still there, didn't say a word. Referee blows the whistle, didn't say a word to the referee. Transition happens, his team gets the ball, now he speaks up. You know what he says? Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Gets it, scores. Gets it back, scores again. Gets it back, scores again. Gets it back, seven straight unanswered points, and he let his actions do the talking. Instead of taking retribution, instead of uh, getting himself into further trouble, he turned the other cheek, and he took his anger, he took his emotion, and he used that to propel him on a higher road. Heard about somebody else who did the opposite, a bad example, Chicago Cubs player, outfielder Andre Dawson. He was arguing with the umpire about a strike and a bad call. The umpire's name was Joe West. He was ended up being fined because of his argument, because of his foul mouth and language and, and how he was trying to get retribution. And so since he was uh, fined, he felt like, oh, that was an attack on him. And so he says, I got to get the last word in. So back in those days, they write the check. You know, it wasn't a direct deposit or anything like that. So he wrote the check. And on the memo of the check, he wrote these words, donation for the blind. <laughs> that's the check that went to the umpire. You see what I'm saying here? Donation for the blind. And, uh, and so that's a way of getting back retaliation, saying, I'm not going to let you have the last word. I'm not going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to get back at you. And so Jesus tells us, turn the other cheek. And then look at verse 40 as we move on. Verse 40, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them also have your what as well? Your cloak as well. And what is a tunic? What is a cloak, perhaps you may ask? Um, that The tunic was like the undergarment. The cloak was this amazing device for ancient people. It served, it was like multi-tool, right? It was like a Snuggie, right? You could use a Snuggie for so many different things. It's a blanket, it's a pillow, it's a scarf, like it's a Snuggie, right? And this is the way the cloak, the cloak, stay with me, right? This is the way the cloak was. It was their outer garment. It could be used as a blanket, it could be used as a pillow, it was like a, uh, their fancier coat, their, their inner garment was the tunic. And there was a rule in the Bible in Exodus 22, God said, hey, if, if, if somebody takes a pledge from you, so, hey, in other words, can I, can I borrow your ox cart? Yeah, you can borrow my ox cart. What are you going to give me in case you break my ox cart? You know, it's a pledge, right? You know how that works? And, uh, hey, give me your cloak. You could do that, but the only way you could borrow someone's cloak, because it was so important to a man or a woman, was you had to return in at sundown. You could, even if they wrecked your ox cart, you had to give them back their cloak because that's how important it was. So God said, man, this was a basic right that human beings need. They need their cloak, otherwise they're going to freeze, they're going to struggle, all this sort of stuff. It was an inalienable right, as we would say in America. In fact, God says He pledges that He will defend the person who has this right taken away. Yet Jesus says, give your cloak up freely. Give your cloak up freely. If they sue you and they take your tunic, Go ahead and give them your cloak as well. Don't worry about your personal property rights. Take it. And it's not take it, na na boo I'll get you back. I got away because I know somebody. Not take it, stick my tongue out. It's take it without resentment in my heart. It's that, you know how some people have said, right, I guess they needed it more than I did. You know what I mean? Like that's the right response. This happened to us, the Mackeys. Uh, this week, and uh, it was probably harder for me uh, than it was for my wife. My family, we, they went to the beach earlier this week, and, um, and I typically take my kids to the pool, and uh, so we have this whole dad swim thing. We go to the pool. My kids like to have their goggles, and it's a big deal because apparently kids cannot go under the water unless they have goggles. It's like it doesn't work. They're allergic, whatever. They can go underneath the water and swim just fine as long as they have goggles, but all of a sudden you take goggles away, it's like, no, I can't go under the water. Won't happen, Dad. So the goggles are a big deal in my house. And since we go to the pool, a little community pool, we go there frequently, it's like, all right, we need these goggles. So Victoria's taking the kids to the beach. Hey, I'll put the goggles in the thing. There's six goggles. Please bring back six goggles. I got it. Okay, they're important, right? They go to the beach. They're playing. There are some friends there. There are some strangers there. And they start playing with the goggles. And lo and behold, Some goggles get missing. They went with six, and they came back with three. And I was feeling not very Christ-like in those moments when that report came to me, because I'm thinking, how dare they? How dare they lose our goggles? Sinful little children that they are. Who is raising you to lose goggles in the ocean?" What kind of parents do you have? I mean, I know you're five, and you probably never lost anything in your life. (sighs) But God had to say to me, hey, it's goggles, man. Chill out, right? Be wronged, and don't hold a grudge. Let the goggles go. And I know you may be thinking, Pastor, let the goggles go. But let's be honest. There are some things that come across your life, and they're sacred to you. All right, now, goggles is my thing. You got your thing, so don't look so judgmental. But we we just get all finicky about personal property, and it's like, don't don't touch my, don't scratch my car, don't stand in my grass. Don't that, that's my favorite shirt. You know, it's like you, you spill something on my shirt, and we lose our minds over it, right? And um, and he's saying, you we should not be so attached to the possessions of this world that they actually possess us, but that we can with freedom say, nope, you can have that as well, and it's okay. And there's no resentment, there's no bitterness in my heart. Rather be wronged, right? So if they sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Verse 41 as we move on. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him how many? Two miles. And maybe you're familiar with this, maybe you're not. The Greek word for force there is agarion. And it comes actually from the word mailman. There were couriers back in those days, and actually the mail system for the Persians and then later on the Greeks was very sophisticated. They had the routes mapped out. They knew exactly how far a person could travel, and they would travel this far. And then there would be a station where there were supplies and aid and shelter, and he'd go there, and then he could take because the king's message was important to get out. And so they had this whole system set up. And so the courier, the mailman, the, the, hey, hey, Mr. Postman, right, he had a job. But the courier, if he got to the aid spot and there was no aid there, he had the right by king's orders to grab any citizen and say, give me shelter, give me food. He had that right, and he could take that. He said, you, you had to do this. He also had the right to say, hey, I'm tired for the night. This message has got to go. You're taking this to the next spot. The word here is, is using the same, and how this, uh, so it's the word for courier, forced, uh, mandated uh, into uh, a job, if you will. A private citizen had to take this. And how this played out in Jesus' time is that they were occupied by an invading nation. The Romans had invaded Palestine where they lived. They were underneath Roman occupation. And at any moment, a Roman soldier could tap a Jew on the shoulder and say, hey, and this is where the word comes back into play. It wasn't just uh, a male person. It was any Roman soldier, any Roman citizen had the right to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, carry my stuff, carry my baggage, carry my shield carry my dead carcass of an animal that that I I just killed, carry this for one mile. That was the prescription. That was the law. They they can only make you carry it for one mile. So this is what the Jews had to live under. Imagine this, this invading nation, uh, you know, treating them this way and say, hey, boy, carry my stuff for a mile. And they pick it up. I got to do this. I hate these Romans. I can't wait for God to do something about these Romans invading us taking our women, invading our country, destroying everything. Oh, I do care. This stuff, I can't wait, man. I'm cursing the one to my breath. Kick some rocks always the way behind. And hey, what'd you say? Nothing. Right? And Jesus says that should not be the mark of a Christian. The mark of the Christian should be. Okay, I got it. Hey, do you, do you need me to take it two miles? Not, do you need me to take it two miles because I'm so much holier than you? I have an unconquerable goodwill towards you because I know that God loves you. And I am working in my heart through my flesh because the Holy Spirit is conquering my flesh to love you as well. Not to, not to be some uppity-up religious do-gooder, but because there's genuine love, I'll help you take this two miles. I'll actually think about helping you instead of complaining. And So this is the unconquerable benevolence that Jesus calls us to respond with. And then verse 42 says this. Verse 42, it says, give... Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I don't think we need a whole lot of explanation here. So we have turn the other cheek, give up your cloak, go the extra mile, give to those who ask. What kind of crazy people do this? What kind of nutso, you know, few screws lose few fries short of a happy meal kind of people do this. Don't you know people are gonna run over you? Don't you know you're gonna be a doormat? Don't you know people are gonna take advantage of you? For the glory of God, yes, we know and understand that. And we'll bear that cross gladly so that those people who don't know Christ can come to know him. Okay, okay, wait, wait a pet, wait a second. Wait. Let's be honest. This is complex, right? There's a whole lot of what ifs and, and if we're honest, even this part of the next session they can even contradict each other. Don't these things contradict other parts? Give to those who ask. Love your enemies. And so here are a few examples that I read about this week and a few that I thought about that um, will help us with the complexity here for a second. But I'm not going to let us off the hook too much because we as, as Americans, we're comfortable and, and we like being comfortable. And we like to, especially middle class, we like to kind of get off the hook uh, a lot. And so let me just ease a little bit of that, but not too much. Let's say you have a friend who calls you they're suicidal, right? They're suicidal. I'm, I'm thinking about killing myself, and, and, uh, and you go over there to help them, right? And, uh, and, you, and you realize that they're going to take some of these pills. You know where they keep the pills in the house, and you take the pills away from that. And they say, man, give me my pills. I'm sick of this. I'm done with this. I, I want to end my life, and I don't want you to stop me, even though I called you because I'm conflicted. And that's how people are. And that's okay. And we love those people. Give me my pills. And if you look at the scripture, give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And you're thinking, I, I got to give this to them, right? People are all like, been out of shape. Like, oh my gosh. No, we're called to love that person and do what's best for them. To even love our enemies. Even if they attack us and we're going to say, no, I'm not going to leave you because and there's a higher calling, right? And so, and so there's there's all kinds of areas that you can get into here where you have to be well-saturated in God's Word and have the Holy Spirit leading you to know, okay, no, I'm just not going to let this go by here. Another example, let's say someone has abused your child. It was a babysitter. It was a family member. And let's say, by the way, you because you, these these situations are talking about personal situations. This is not saying don't let justice that God has created and given the government the power of the sword according to the Scriptures for a reason. So there's an abuse in your family. You call the police. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying don't call the police. Okay? Well, if, if, okay, What? what just hold on. You call the police. This person goes to the, you report this crime because that's what's biblical and right to do. Okay? And they call you from the jail. Hey, look, you know what? I'm sorry about what I did to your child. I'm sorry uh, about this. Will you forgive me? The answer from the Christian is yes. It may be. I'm struggling right now. Okay, I'm really hurt by this. My family is devastated because of this. All those things are still true. And I, I I I'm working to forgive you. And they say, Hey, can I have my job back? Hey, can I can I come? No. No. You see, trust and forgiveness are two different things. You understand me? Okay? And 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 Jesus has told us to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as as doves. And, so, and so we take in the totality of scripture. Let's let's say another situation, right? There's somebody who who um you know you you are employing somebody at your job and and um and man they they don't complete their task. Their their job is to serve uh, the, the tables sweep and and mop and, and show up at this time and get off at that time and they show up an hour late and they leave an hour early and they don't sweep the floor. And you say, hey, you, you didn't finish your tasks. And then it keeps happening. And you say, hey, look, you're fired. Well, no, you can't fire me. You're supposed to turn the other cheek. You're supposed to give to, can I have my job back? No. You see, and it's, it's so let's not get all, let's not, you lose our brains in this, in the totality of the rest of the scripture. Here's a more difficult one for you. Let's say you see a single mom at the end of your street who's struggling to make ends meet. You notice that she doesn't have a washer and a dryer. and um. And you see them take their clothes to the laundromat, and you're like, man, it's the dead of summer, man. I know it's hot. And they're packing up kids and going to the laundromat. You're like, man, that's gotta be difficult. Then you see them in the wintertime and it's freezing outside, and they're getting out there freezing and doing all their laundry. You say, I'm gonna save up money and buy them uh, a washing machine and dryer. And so you're saving up the money and you get you get the money, the whole deal, and you get whatever. I don't even know how much those things cost nowadays. You get a thousand dollars, I guess. And um, and uh, and then you're getting ready to go, and you get a call from 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 a family member. Hey, I, I just uh, lost my job and, and my, my rent's due. Can I borrow $1,000? What are you going to do? Give to the one who begs from you. Do not Listen to me. I don't know what you're going to do. But Jesus knows, and he knows the complexity of life. And so when he said this, he understands the complexity of life. But and, and so we try to get out of all these things a lot of times. And so what he's saying is our default response is turn the other cheek. That should be our we shouldn't be looking for the loopholes. Like, how do I get back at somebody? And that shows the condition of our Our default response should be turn the other cheek. Our default response should be go the extra mile. Our, our default response should be give. But there are so many complex situations. There's also roles that we have, right? Parents. You turn the other cheek, right? You got a little toddler that they don't want to get buckled in the car seat and they're kicking and scratching. They hit you, they kick you. You just turn the other cheek. Hey, just hit this one too. Right? See that Jesus isn't saying be a, a, a moron. He's not he's not saying that. He's saying continue to read the rest of the scriptures and use the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so so let, let's let's look at that. The police, right? Okay? Somebody assaults a police officer and they're trying to resist arrest, all that sort of stuff. Police is gonna turn the other cheek. I'll tell you a beautiful way that the police, I believe, uh, according to reports, turned the other cheek, is with the shooting at the courthouse. Those police, according to the reports, I don't know if it's true, but I I pray and praise God that it was. They found that shooter, and they started performing CPR and life-saving measures on that shooter. When they could have said, you done shot up all these people, you crazy maniac. You shot one of my partners, you crazy maniac. Die in your own pool of blood. That's what you get. But no, something in their heart said, you know what, this guy is a criminal, he's done wrong, and he's going to be prosecuted according to the law, but we're going to work on saving his life. See, that's the Christian that's the ethic of Christ at work, that it still loves enemies. That's what's going on here. That's what he's saying. And so he understands that there is complexity. Do pastors and elders not issue church discipline to wayward church members who are sinning and hurting others in the church by turning the other cheek? No, that still happens. Employees, the same thing. So Jesus knows they are complex. But we should be shouting to the world, listen, I don't need money. I don't need security. I don't need revenge because I have Jesus. And so you can take from me what you want, but I've got Jesus. And he is my treasure. He is my satisfaction. As Pastor Caleb said, Jesus is better than all these things. And so I'm free. I'm free from revenge. I'm free from the love of money. I'm free from the love of possessions. And you can have them. You can have my dignity. It's okay because you don't give me my dignity. My creator gives that to me, and he has affirmed me, and I know who I am. It's unconquerable benevolence. Amen? Number two, and then we'll we'll finish with this. Point number two is this. So we're we're called to practice unconquerable benevolence, and then we're, we're called to practice invincible love. Invincible love. Again, stole that phrase from William Barclay, but I changed it. He used the word goodwill. I thought that was too similar to benevolence. So invincible love. We're to practice invincible love. Not just doing good things to people who are our enemies, but blessing them, truly loving them, desiring what's best for them. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 7 and 8 says this, love bears all things, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends, never fails, right? And then he goes on to say, in prophecies, they will pass away. And as for tongues, they will cease. And for knowledge, it will pass away. Love never fails. In verse 13, he says, now faith, hope, and love abide, right? These things, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. And Jesus is showing. These are the words, ladies and gentlemen, that have started revolutions from Dr. Martin Luther King and even impacted Gandhi was the understanding of what Christ taught here in these passages. And so jumping in, verse 43, as we practice invincible love, is verse 43. He says, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, here's where they did a a little tricky thing here. It was love your neighbor in the scripture, but never was it hate your enemy. In fact, you won't find that anywhere in the Bible, to hate your enemy. Enemies. That was what they added again because they were trying to appear religious and get away with their own agenda, doing what their hearts wanted. And so it moves on here, right? But I say to you, you shall what? I say to you, love who? Your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is invincible love towards others, those who are enemies. This is how God changed the world through love. In fact, you may be familiar with the various different words in the Greek for love. There's phileo, there's eros, and these different words for family-type love, for romantic-type love. But the word used here is agape. And if you're familiar with agape, in fact, just so you're awake, reach over and touch your neighbor and tell them agape. Agape. And then now you can tell them, I agape you. Now, you might want to say, back up. I don't know what that means yet. I don't know what that. I don't think I want you agape in me. You might need some breath mints for you agape anything right? Agape is the the God love. It's the love that God exerts on His people. It's a God-type love. And the only way, if we're honest, that we can truly love enemies or even love our friends or love our spouses, our children, our our neighbors, is with agape love in us, right? It's filling us up. It's God-like love. God doesn't just love the righteous and the good, amen? God loves the sinners and the broken, the wicked. And then he illustrates how he does this, right? Look at this beautiful illustration here, verse 45, right? Verse 45, so so he's saying, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on who? The evil, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on who? the unjust. And so he's going on to say here, man, look at the good gifts that God gives to all people. It's summertime. People are enjoying the beach and the sunshine and boats. They're out on the water. They're water skiing and boating and they're at the pool and they're, they're cooking out and they're barbecuing. Many of them, wicked people who don't give God two cents, two seconds of their day, they could care less about God. And God doesn't say, I'm not giving you no sunshine. I'm not giving you any Rain, I'm not giving you a beautiful day at the beach. God still says, this is my creation. Enjoy it. He pours it out on the wicked and the good. And how be it for us as his people to ever try to do the same thing to others? But we're guilty of it because we get hurt and we'd rather hate our enemies, right? Love your enemies. And then keep reading with me, verse 46 these are so convicting, aren't they? Especially for Christians, especially for church folk as we get comfortable in church, right? This is, man, read these frequently before you come to church. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? It's easy to love people that are nice to you, right? It's easy to bless the people that say hello to you. It's easy to say hi to the neighbor that says hi to you. It's difficult to love the neighbor that's a pain and the, you know what? Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, in other words, the people that don't know God? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Man, this is serious business here, right? And this is what God is talking about, and then he sums it up in this verse here, verse 48 You therefore must be what perfect as your heavenly." Father is perfect. Well, wait a second. Wait a second, Pastor. Right? We love to use the phrase. We love to get off the hook. Hey, nobody's perfect. I'm sorry I did that. Nobody's perfect. Right? We love to get off of that. When the Bible has called us, hear me, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible has called us to be holy. To be perfect. I don't think I like that, Pastor. That's okay. I didn't write it, so don't send me any nasty emails. Jesus is Wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it's here for us. Be perfect. We are striving for perfection. But listen to me now. How is that possible? That's not possible. I've tried. You've tried. I've tried to do good. I've tried tried to love my enemies. And I don't want to love those people. They get on my nerves. They don't think the way I think. They don't dress the way I dress. They don't talk the way I talk. They don't vote the way I vote. Man so much easier to hate those people. It's so much easier to talk negatively about those people. I don't want to love them. No. No, Jesus, I resist that. Okay, resist Jesus. See how that goes for you. It's not going to go well. But how is this? Reach over, touch your neighbor, and tell them it's not natural. It's not natural. Now you get to tell them that's because it's supernatural. That's because it's Supernatural. There is no way you or I can do this in our own strength. You know what it's about? It's about having the character of God within us. The Bible says the miracle is that as a Christian, we have Christ in us. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The greatest characteristic that God displays is His holiness and His perfection and His love. And He loves saints and sinners all alike. And people should be saying about us, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. She is just like her father in heaven. He is just like his father from heaven. We should be saying, it's it's not me. It's it's my father's DNA in me. I don't know what's happened. Something came inside of me. It's called the Holy Spirit, and he changed me. And, and all of a sudden, I, I want to love the people who have hurt me. I, it doesn't make any sense. I want to forgive them. I may not have them around me or my, my children right now because they're not safe, and I'm not going to be foolish. But I I want what's best for that person. I've stopped hating them. This is beautiful. So how are we doing about this, church? How are we doing with retaliation and unconquerable benevolence? How are we doing with invincible love? Have you thought about your neighbors? Have you thought about your enemies? I I don't have any enemies. All right, how about the neighbor whose dog poops in your yard? The neighbor that parks in front of your house instead of their own house or maybe it's you that has the dog and you're just trying to walk your little dog and and they're just giving you the look your dog barks too much your dogs get that dog away from me you know like we can go on and on okay they don't like your dandelions right it's happened they don't they don't like okay they complain about the way your yard looks. They, they they write a complaint letter. They call on you. Like they, they are they your enemies? Well, they sure are. How are you loving them? How are you loving them? Desiring what's good for them in your heart. Praying for them. Maybe they complain about your kids. It's Fourth of July this past week. Everybody's lighting off fireworks, right? People are all up uh, uh, upset. In my community, that people are illegally lighting fireworks. You're going to complain online about those people, or are you going to love them? Now, that may mean you still call the police on them because it's legal. I'm not saying that's, that's not bad, but that doesn't mean you, you you know, do something nasty and, and say something evil about them. You can still call the police and love them. I love you enough to call the police on you because I don't want you to blow off your hand or my kid's hand or light my roof on fire. You, you could do that and still be within your rights. You could let it go. You, however God tells you to do it, but... What you cannot do is harbor resentment and retaliation and bitterness in your heart. Amen? So how are we doing with this? How are we doing with the imaginary enemies? You know, the people we don't know but we don't like them? Different political parties you dislike? Are your enemies Democrats? Are your enemies liberals? Are your enemies Republicans? Are your enemies conservatives? Are your enemies this racial group or that racial group? Are your enemies immigrants? Are your enemies Americans? How are you doing at loving them? Because that is what God has clearly instructed us to do. And and the, the feelings of animosity and hate must be put to death in every Christian's heart for the glory of God so that people can see Jesus Christ. Amen? So how are you doing? Here's the last question. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? because it's reflecting the gospel. Think about a God who had a world that hated him. And what did he choose to do? He could have smashed the world in, 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 into oblivion. But he loved a God-hating people. He loved me when I was a God-hater and an enemy of God. He loved you when you were a God-hater and an enemy of God. And if you're failing at this, you're saying, Pastor, I'm struggling with this, The goal is not to white-knuckle it and be like, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better. You You know what your goal is? We look to the cross. You look to the cross more and more. You look to Christ. You seek Jesus more. And when you seek Jesus more, when you get into the scriptures and you abide in him and he starts changing your heart from the inside out, the fruit comes out of you naturally. Amen? And so the goal is not to white-knuckle, okay, I'm going to go out this week, Pastor. I'm going to love my neighbor. i don't want to love my neighbor. The goal is to see Christ more, and he will form in your heart love for those you do not like. You need to dig your roots deeper into Christ because it's not natural. It's supernatural, and you can't do it apart from the supernatural work of Christ in you. And then we just keep looking at Jesus. We look to the cross. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see somebody whose dignity was smashed as they spat on him and they mocked him and they plucked out his beard and they put a a crown of thorns on his head and he still turned the other cheek. You're going to see somebody who was stripped of his robe. Stripped of his robe and died ashamed, half naked on a cross. The cross is not just a tool. They could have killed people in any way. The cross is a tool of shame and torture and, and demeaning a person and tearing down their dignity. And Jesus bore the shame for us and for all who would trust in him. Oh, look at Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. Look how he bore the cross, not just a mile, not just two miles. And yeah, I know they they compelled the same Greek word there. They forced Simon to help him carry it. But it wasn't just about the cross. You know what Jesus was carrying that was even greater weight than the cross? He was carrying our sin and the shame and the wrath of God. And there was no greater weight to carry. And he didn't carry it for one mile or two miles, the wrath of God. He carried the wrath of God to an infinite degree. And he did not give up, but he bore that for you and me. And then give, give to those who ask, oh, look at Jesus, sir. Look at Jesus man and he will not refuse anyone that comes to him sir, if you don't know Christ man, if you don't know Christ in this room and you call out to him, he will receive you doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what your past is doesn't matter how good you look on the outside doesn't matter where you've been faking it in church for 50 years he will receive you he won't refuse anyone the vilest of sinners, even his enemies now close with Romans five Romans 5:10 says this for if while we were enemies We were enemies of God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Sir, God saved you while you were an enemy. God saved me while I was an enemy. You didn't befriend God, just so we're clear, right? You didn't befriend God before he moved in on you and saved you first. It was God who made the first move. We were wicked in our sin and our rebellion. So the root origin of how do we love our enemies? is to experience being loved as an enemy. Amen? Once you've experienced being loved as an enemy of God, then he produces in you that great enemy love. And so, brothers and sisters, as we prepare to to dismiss in a few moments, I want us to have a time of reflection, a time of response, a time of invitation for us to ponder, God, what are you doing in my life? Am I a person who's bent on retaliating and, and, and doing this? Do I have enemies? And we need to process that, and then we need to take it all to the cross. Amen? And so let's pray together with heads bowed, with eyes closed, as our worship team will come to prepare us for this time, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's continue to look to Jesus who took the cross for us, who loved his enemies, who loved the vilest of all sinners. Let's continue to watch him say, Father, I forgive them for they know not what they do. And we see an invincible love. We see an unconquerable benevolence of how Jesus changed the world. And now he has called us to be those ambassadors of change. And how will that change come? By loving Jesus so much that he produces love for our enemies. So, Father, be glorified in us this week, today. Deal with our hearts as we prayed earlier, Father. God, for you to grant us the grace of obedience. God, for you to grant us the grace of to have hearts that are changed, that love those we'd rather hate, those who make fun of us, those who attack us, those who have wronged us. And God, I also know that there's, there's some people in this in this place that are confused because they're struggling with a person who has hurt them, and they're wondering like, to what level they engage in that relationship. And I just pray, Father, you grant them clarity. And Father, we know this. Your word declares vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And we are not to take revenge. So, God, remove from our hearts vengeance. And we can trust you to be the right judge of those people that have hurt and wounded us. And I pray, God, you would let forgiveness and grace just flow through each of us freely, Father. And for those in this room who don't know you, I pray, God, that they would hear loud and clear that at any time, at any moment, they could come to the Savior. When they turn from their sins and embrace Christ, Lord. You will not deny them. You will never reject them because you came for the sick. You came for the broken. You came for the needy, which is really every single one of us in this room. So, Father, we love you today. We offer up our praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this last song, and this is the time for you to respond myself.